Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. My name is Michael Bond, and I will be one of your hosts today. I'm sitting here with pastors Mel Massengale and Kendall Kersey. Hello. Greetings. So today we're going to talk about the multi-purpose church or churches that maybe could function as like community centers. So think of churches that offer a broader array of activities than just weekend worship or preaching or, uh, you know, musical worship, that sort of thing. Churches that might offer like a 24 hour gym or a restaurant or other places where people typically gather. So We'll get into that. We'll figure out what, um, you know, the nuances, the dangers, that sort of thing regarding that topic would be. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about this week in church leadership. And the article that I found for this was uh, written by the son of a guy whose dad was a pastor. So his grandfather was a pastor. And uh, so, so this guy felt called to, to ministry and he tried to tell his dad that he was called to ministry. His dad told him one time, uh, I don't want you to do it because I don't want you to be hurt. He said, I'll never say anything else again. If you, if you decide to go forward, but I'm just going to warn you one time that I don't, I don't want you to do it because I don't want you to be hurt. And so the guy tried to figure out like what that was about, because this guy who was called to ministry, when he thought of his church, he always thought of like healing and hope and like all the things that are the opposite of trauma. That's how he felt about his own church. He felt like he was at home there. Um, but then uh, I think as he was talking to his grandmother to try to figure out what was going on, um, he realized that his dad, being a pastor's son, uh, was able to, to watch his own dad go through the sort of the shadow side of church, which he uh, described as Darwinism and Machiavellianism, like the kind of cunning political, sometimes corrupt uh, air around things like business meetings, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so his, so his dad's dad, like this guy thought very highly of it. It's kind of complicated because we're dealing with three generations here, but the guy who's called to ministry, his dad thought very highly of his dad. And so he thought that he didn't want his own son to be hurt by the church because mm -hmm. he saw his dad hurt by the church. And so I think this applies not only to pastors and, and the children of pastors, but also to Christians who spend a lot of time around the church and get to see the more difficult, messy areas of ministry. And so what I'd like to talk about is like, do you have any experience with this, uh, kind of dog eat dog mentality that might surround a church that has like a big budget or like has to make big business decisions. And you have these meetings where people kind of uh, cast the fruit of the spirit aside and um, try to do what's in their own self-interest or something like that. And then how would you, for somebody who's been hurt uh, by those things, like let's say the, the child of a pastor who's watched you know, his or her dad go through that stuff. Mm -hmm. How would you prevent that child from having a view of the church that's like less than stellar because of what they watched their loved one be subject to by the congregation? Well, let me start by saying I'm, um, I feel like this article probably there's a false narrative that there's any hurt in church. Cause from my experience, there's never ever been any hurt <laughs> or never. backbiting or subversiveness or I've never seen it anywhere. So yeah, no one tries to overthrow leadership ever. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's very easy then guys. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, no. And, and I think you had said something about, uh, you know, big budgets and but the reality is this stuff happens in 
churches of 40. Um, you know, it, and sometimes I think it might be more likely to happen in a church of 40 than a church that has 2,000 in attendance just because a larger church sometimes um, the, the way the leadership is structured is it, it prevents some of that to some degree as far as like a board trying to take control or one family that really, you know, tries to dominate a business meeting or things like that. But I mean, the truth is that stuff happens in large churches and small churches uh, regardless because human beings are are messed up sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> in my theological point of view. Human <laughs> beings are messed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't think it's limited to just big churches. I think it can, but yeah, I think a lot of people that listen to this, if you're pastoring a small church, you've probably experienced it. I've experienced it at our church, you know, since I've been here dealing with subversiveness and, you know, uh, staff that were talking to people mm-hmm. or having ungodly conversations, immoral, you know, kind of things. So yeah, it doesn't matter how big or small or how big the budget is or small the budget budget is. It's just, to me, that's human nature. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I would default to you on this specifically since, um, I mean, I've never been a lead pastor, so I wouldn't know. Um, but you know, even if you're not a lead pastor, you still deal with some, you know, form of, Mm -hmm. uh, burden carrying and, Mm -hmm. uh, hurt that you can experience. And, um, I come from a family who has a lot of pastors in my family, Mm -hmm. um, a lot. And so I, one, one of the things that I think would help prevent some of this, um, some of this hurt either being passed down to generation or in the case, in this narrative of saying, I've seen too much and seen what it's done to my dad. And so therefore I don't want my son to be a pastor. I think what would help with this is if pastors were a little bit more open, um, especially with their family, even about like, this is what you will experience. Or if you want to go into ministry, that's great, but here's what's going to happen. Because the reason I prefaced with, I have a lot of pastors in my family on both sides, mom and dad. um, I was never told once ever that, this is a really hard job <laughs> like yep. that it must be a calling or you are going to be, you know, overly frustrated and you're going to give up because it's going yep. to be too hard. The burden is too heavy and you know, it has to be a calling and you have to do it by the power of the Holy spirit. I don't remember there ever being conversations about that. Like, especially yeah. even when I was like, Hey, I feel like I'm called to ministry. And that was like when I was a teenager, I had <laughs> uncles and cousins and like grandparents who'd no been in ministry and no one said, <laughs> Hey, that's great and all, and I'm glad, but just so you know, this is what it actually looks like. And I think we would do a great (laughs) service to those coming up in ministry, whether they be in family or not in family and kind of allow them not only to see what's going on, but to have a conversation about it. Cause I would assume that this, uh, this, um, guy in the middle, the middle generation here, he might've seen his dad hurt a lot, but I don't know if there was any conversation about, Hey, just so you know, man, those are people. And yeah. those people, they're bad. Like yeah. on the inside, we all, we're all bad. We, yeah. we need a savior. And that's just a part of the fallen world we live in. And here's how I'm handling it. Or here's how, um, you know, I'm praying through it or something like that. I just think it would, it would help if they were honest, you know, in that sense. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And that's something both of my daughters feel called to ministry. And I'm grateful for that. But that's one of the things we've shielded them from the worst of the worst 
but we peel back, you know, pull back the curtains enough for them to see like, oh yeah, this is not easy. Mm -hmm. And there are hard times and they know dad gets hate mail sometimes. And, you know, people I love have left the church for idiotic reasons. And, you know, like that stuff is painful. So like we want them to see this is really what ministry is Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that's part of the problem. I think we get into ministry with Mm -hmm. the wrong expectations. Sometimes we think, Man, look at that guy. He preaches, and everybody seems to like him. I, I want to do that. And then yeah. it's like, nope. He nope, gets to study nope. the Bible and play golf all day. How awesome right. is that? That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so I get it. I think I think part of my goal here at Summit has been like, hey, let's heal some of the hurts that our church has caused in the past. And we've seen some of that. You know, some former pastors and some former staff members that we've been able to reconcile with by just acknowledging like, hey, in the past – I know you were done wrong. I know some things happened and I can't fix that, but man, I would love to build a bridge. And so that's been fun to see. But the reality is if you do ministry for any amount of time um, at all, it's going to be painful. There's going to be, it's not just difficult, um, deeply personal circumstances. And, and the reality is if we as ministers don't um, allow God to heal our pain, we will transmit that to other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important for us to have the right mentality about it and the right mm-hmm. perspective on it. So both of you have kids. I do not. I am told that kids are very observant. And so um, when you have a situation where someone is ugly with you as a pastor, um, it sounds to me like what you're saying is you try to be intentional about communicating that to your kids to like at least make sure that they're not observing it without Mm -hmm. any kind of input from you. Because I think that maybe the mistake is, well, if I don't, if I'm a pastor and I have, I have children and um, somebody in the congregation is ugly with me, if I just don't say anything, or if I try to like set it aside, then the child won't notice. Mm -hmm. And I think the feature difference between this guy who's called to ministry and his dad, who's like, "Uh, I don't want to see you get hurt is that the dad observed a lot of things on his own and maybe came to his own conclusions about them. And so are you saying then that like you need to be intentional when like something comes up that maybe it's like iffy about whether or not a child should know about, you need to be intentional about telling them and kind of communicating that with them? I would say just, so I don't, my kids are very young, um, seven, five and two. Um, so like, I'm not telling them obviously anything that's going on. Uh, they haven't really observed anything. I can't communicate that to them. But one thing I do liken it to is there are many times where I, as a parent get, uh, frustrated with my kids and I lose my temper and I yell or, you know, whatever. Um, and what I have made it a point to do is that if I yell at them, if I raise my voice and it makes them cry and I tell them, go to your room, whatever, I come back up after we've both calmed down to their room and I say, hey, I'm sorry I yelled. I shouldn't have done that. You also should not have done what you did. But can we forgive each other? Let's talk through this. And so like, even though there there could be possibly hurt there and it could be observed, like if I just let it go and just said, go to your room. And the last thing that they heard me do was yell at them. And then they came back down and we just never talked about it again. That would instill more hurt than when we actually get an opportunity to talk about and say, Hey, daddy, you know, lost his temper. You lost your mind cause you weren't listening. So like, let's work through this. Let's talk through this. And so that like, I, I hope to at some point when they're old enough and they observe some things that might go on that we can, we've opened up those, those, uh, lines of communication to say, Hey, 
this is what you saw, or this is what mm-hmm. has been happening. It shouldn't be happening, but it is. And here's how we're going to handle it. I'm going to choose to forgive. I hope that you choose to forgive and I hope that they choose to forgive and let's all move forward. Um, so that's the only perspective that I can speak of it from. Cause my kids just aren't old enough yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My girls are older. They're both, you know, one's in college, one's in high school. And so they've seen a lot. Um, but like I said, we try to be careful never to bring church baggage home, but I also, um, pretty intentional about, you know, if I come home and I've had a rough day, you know, I don't want my girls. I'm honest enough with them that they know like, man, I had a rough day. I had some really hard conversations today or, you know, like uh, there's a family in the church that's dealing with this and it's just weighing on my heart tonight, you know, like, so, you know, I, I want to, I want them to see that stuff. And then when they press a little bit about, Hey, why did this happen? Or, Hey, I noticed this. Um, I just have to use discernment about, okay, how much can I share? Cause it's not about, I think if, if we're not careful pastors, we're looking for allies and sometimes we don't have very many. And so it's easy for pastors to dump our junk on our kids and be like, everybody's against me and the board hates me or whatever the problem mm-hmm. is. And that's what, that's, that's where the problem comes in. And that's where I think sometimes kids can build up a, a resistance to the things of God um, because they see, they see what their parents are dealing with. And so for me, I want to use discernment. I want to be careful. I want to make sure my kids aren't, the place that I'm sharing and, you know, building allies, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, when they ask a question, uh, I'm as honest as I can be while still guarding their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a fine line to walk. And I've probably overshared about some things at times, but you know, like I said, my girls both feel called <clears throat> to ministry and they both like the church and they both love Jesus and mm-hmm. they both think Kim and I are okay. So like, that's where it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's a win, you know, somehow. Um, so I, I, I don't know that there's a, a perfect right or wrong. I think you've mm-hmm. got to figure out your kids and your family. I mean, it's, cause the same is true with your wife. It's different for me cause Kim is on staff here, you know, so she sees what I see for the most part. Um, but if your spouse is not working at the church, you've got to use discernment. Um, mm-hmm. it's easy to go, well, this is my spouse. I'm going to share everything. Well, it might not be best for their heart to hear everything that's been told to you. Um, so you've got to use discernment about how do I protect and how do I shield? Yeah. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's tricky. And I'm yeah. still learning that part too, about, you know, about the spouse thing is because yep. there's sometimes when the reason I am frustrated or my temper is short is because I've dealt with so much stuff, mm-hmm. you know, within ministry or, uh, just, just dealing with the burdens of people and I'm yeah. carrying that and haven't voiced it to anybody. And so I have to remind myself, Oh, well, yeah, I need to tell my yeah. wife, Oh, this is why I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little on edge today. Mm-hmm. This is why I, I'm more down than what I really should be is because I'm carrying this burden or this is the, this is the issue that came up today or whatever. So I'm still learning that. Yeah. So the author of the article thought that um, articulating the distinction between church and Jesus was Mm -hmm. helpful when it comes to the bad side of church. But Mm -hmm. obviously we want people to associate the church with Jesus when it comes to the good side of church. Like we want people to love the church. And so um, do you, uh, do you try to make that, do you try to articulate that difference or do you like, how do you walk that line? Because 
we don't want people to look down on the church, you know, mm-hmm. to like kind of say, oh, well, church is terrible, but God is good. Um, but at the same time, you do want that separation between both pastors and God mm-hmm. and um, the church and God. Like we don't want anyone to use like a human as a surrogate for God or even the church as a surrogate for Jesus. And so uh, do you spend time, how would you walk through it? Like not even just with your kids, but with people in the congregation to kind of prep them in case they have that toxic atmosphere show itself to them that they're not like, oh man, uh, the church is like this. God must be like this. Do you try to make that difference? Yeah, I think it comes with authenticity. Like you have to, from the top down, essentially, um, and your volunteers and your leaders and everybody, really pastoral, everybody from the top down has to be authentic and understanding and really communicating with the way that they live, with the way that they communicate that uh, church is made up of broken people. Mm-hmm. The pastoral ship is made up of broken people. We are all in the same boat, so to speak, with the fact that we have to have Jesus and that, you know, church, while it is Jesus's bride, it is not a perfect representation of who Jesus is. And so I think it's absolutely uh, important that we that we draw that line and that we make it very clear with being authentic. For instance, um, one of the things that we strive to do uh, within our young adults ministry is that we tell real stories, like stories that we're even not even over yet. We're still Mm -hmm. going through it. And we've made it a point to make sure that we're super authentic within that ministry so that there isn't, and we create space for that too, to communicate that um, so that there isn't this you know, hierarchy of, oh, that, that person's more holy and look at them and they're on the pedestal. It's, hey, we're all in the same boat. And, you know, some of us have the privilege to preach. Some of us have the privilege to sing, um, but we're all still here in the same boat, also in need of Jesus. And this, this place, this ministry is made up of broken people who are seeking Jesus. Um, I think Disney lied to us. And for a generation of people that were raised on Disney, we think that, you know, solutions are happily ever after and that people are either heroes or villains, that it's very clear cut. And the reality is we're all, we're all kind of King David and we're all kind of King Saul, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so I think helping people, helping like my kids, helping our staff, helping our leaders understand that there's nuance, that people can do really horrible things. And, uh, that doesn't mean they're irredeemable. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that they're evil. Um, sometimes people just do stupid things. Sometimes mm-hmm. people do dumb stuff. And so that that's a position I have to take as a leader just for my own heart, just to discipline my own heart so that I don't, cause it's easy to caricaturize people and go, Oh, well they did one bad thing. They are evil. And that's what mm-hmm. happens in our society and our culture. And so when we're, when we're, when we have a narrative like this, it's, it's important for us not to paint ourselves as the heroes and our abusers or our whatever opponents as, as the, you know, the, the, the evil one, the mm-hmm. yeah. uh, antagonist in the story. So, I mean, that's something that even when there's been some, some challenging things that I've talked my girls through, or even our staff, there's been a couple situations where we've had to sit down with the whole team and go, Hey, here's what's happening. Here's why it's happened. One of the things I've, I'm always real careful about is to never go, hey, this happened because this person's bad, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. because that, again, it, it makes me feel better because if they're bad, I must be good. But it's like, no, 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 it's not because they're bad. It's because they made a bad choice and we yeah. love them and we're for them and we believe in them. But, you know, here's what's happening. So I think adding nuance to that really helps. Um 
differentiate even between, hey, um, because, you know, that idea of I, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, that drives me crazy because it's mm-hmm. like I like Mel, but I hate his wife. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you're, you've got issues with me if you got issues with my wife. And so that's where if we add nuance, it makes it easier to go, okay, uh, I don't always – I'm not always in great relationship with people in the church because mm-hmm. there's problems, but I love the church and I love Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah there's a major issue with that mindset in especially in like millennials down Uh like my generation down is very much oh i love jesus jesus is great Mm -hmm. but everybody who follows him and the church and Mm -hmm. even the word of god Mm -hmm. i don't like i just like jesus like i mean that is that is a absolute problem and it's because it comes from that no one had this had no one understands nuance and yeah well and i mean i think that this is a topic for another podcast on another day, probably, but you know, like the topic of deconstructionism mm-hmm. is huge, mm-hmm. you know, among theologians and wannabe theologians and all that. And I think that's part of it is that we have, we have robbed the gospel of Jesus, you know, or robbed mm-hmm. Jesus of the gospel. We've separated these two things out and it's like, you can't like, you can't yeah. separate Jesus from the word of God. You can't separate Jesus from godly community, yeah. you, you know, um, but yeah. Yeah, it uh, definitely seems to be the case that poorly managed expectations on behalf of per- a person who claims to have been hurt by church might have been the cause even more than actual tribulation in the church. Like yeah. someone walking into it thinking and having an inaccurate understanding of church could result to the church hurt rather than even just the tribulation inside the church. Because uh, yeah. any amount of tribulation inside the church is going to cause church hurt if you're going into it thinking that the church is pure as the driven snow, you know? Right. And so definitely that's good. Okay, so the multi-purpose church or church uh, acting as like the hub for community gatherings. Um, this is an interesting one because there's there's difficulties here that are seem, you know, relatively plain as day. And there's also like, possibly big upsides. And so the first question we can maybe break into this with would be, do you think that churches are too focused on musical worship and preaching for every non-weekend gathering? So for instance, if you have a gathering, you try to gather people together through the week, um, do you think that there's too much of an emphasis on the format of like the weekend service and maybe just changing the format of the weekend service a little bit to accommodate the weekday gathering of whatever that is. Do you think that, uh, do you think pastors and leaders feel like they have to do some kind of preaching or some kind of worship in a gathering? And do you think that that's a problem that they feel that way? Uh, so I would say the, the purpose of the church is to worship God, to, and that can go from you know that can go through music and to learn about God, preaching, teaching, and then to equip the saints. Like that's all that's the purpose of the church on a weekend gathering or, or a gathering, right? But I think that other gatherings that are happening outside of just the weekend specific, I I think yes, some people would think that we have to worship and we have to pray and we have to read our Bibles and preach and teach. Every single time we come together, I would say that I don't think that's the case. I think that we reserve that for weekends or we reserve that for specific worship services or specific teaching times. And that, um, you know, that having a multi-purpose throughout the week, it would be awesome. I think that's a great idea, honestly. I think uh, I've been part of churches where, 
when I was on staff, you know, the pastor was like, Hey, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to do this cookout for the 4th of July. We're going to have worship at the beginning. It's like, what, what? And yeah, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to have three worship songs. Why? Well, cause we're gathered together. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. okay. And so here's the thing. Um, then it's awkward for everybody. Yeah. So if, <laughs> if it's, if it's purposeful, if it's like, here's the reason why we're going to do it, then it, it might make sense. Um, but I think sometimes we fall into a rut. We fall mm. into a routine where we go, well, this is the way we do it. And this is what we do. Um, so I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's, I mean, we do a lot of stuff as a church, where we don't even, you know, in our community, for our community, like our egg hunts, we don't even preach the gospel. We don't, you know, because I've been part of churches that did that too. Hey, we're going to do this free outreach, but when you get here, we're going to preach for 15 minutes to yeah. you. And it feels like a bait and switch. It feels yeah. like, hey, we're going to serve you, but we're going to subject you to this. And, uh, and I get it. But for me, I just feel like, you know, have a purpose behind what you do and, whether you are preaching the gospel at every event, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but if it's just because that's what we do and we're not going to change, that's problematic. Well, I think you, people get comfortable too with, mm -hmm. we know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We don't, we, <laughs> honestly, I think that uh, there are pastors that maybe don't know how to just communicate freely within a group and hang out at a cookout yeah. that I'm more comfortable with the microphone and speaking, mm -hmm. but not necessarily more comfortable in a group talking to the people that I'm supposed yeah. to be leading. And so we just, you know, we get comfortable in, in what we do and we say, well, this is just, this is how we're going to do it. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think if, if we can be more, more engaging in different ways, you know, talking about multi-purpose, um, I think, I think that's really valuable, really helpful. Yeah. So the inspiration for this uh, kind of thinking is, and I'm interested to know whether or not you think this is true. It looks like there might be an analog between the brick and mortar shopping mall and the brick and mortar church. And so when I say brick and mortar church, I mean, people who are attending church physically in person. Um, it's not there yet, but more and more it's getting to the point where you can experience uh, I mean, churches are trying to build community into their online experience. Like that, that's what the, the interactive chat is about. That's mm -hmm. what like all this stuff um, it's, it's trying to be built in and maybe we don't have the technology to fully achieve that yet, but we can certainly deliver a pretty good um, musical experience with the right virtual mix with the right, if the person's listening with the right uh, headphones or speakers on the other end. Uh, and I mean, we've been, we've been preaching messages online at, at churches have been doing that for a while now. And so uh, the analog between the shopping mall and the brick and mortar church is that shopping malls have had to resort to uh, setting up things like coffee shops and 24-hour gyms and places where people can go to gather for something that they just can't get online. And um, Kendall, you said uh, equipping of the saints. That's interesting to me because like for some people, um, I've seen like so much benefit to them out of going to a gym or going to something like that. That's that's been really edifying for them in other areas of their life. Uh, and so, do you think that when when we think about equipping of the saints, do you think we sometimes get hung up on like okay, teaching Bible rather than like thinking about the other areas of their life where they might benefit from some other kind of activity that they could do? Um, do you think that um, 
that the church, churches who are trying to build more of an online audience in the same way that Amazon has built an online shopping audience, do you think that the churches should start opening gyms, restaurants, like things where people have to show up to be a part of that thing uh, because those things happen to also be edifying those, those activities. Um, and what are the dangers of that if that's something that churches start doing? I, I love the idea of doing more than just a service at your church. Like I love the idea, any church that I've been a part of, uh, when, where I pastored at, I've always like kind of wished and hoped that, mm-hmm. man, I would be awesome if we could have a coffee shop that people just came to all the time here and not just a coffee shop, but I've also had the idea of the gym thing, like everywhere I've gone, that's something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm like, man, that'd be super sick if we could have a gym here that people could come to and just make on make quote unquote people come to the building and just being at the building kind of creates a, uh, almost a habit of going mm-hmm. and it's like, huh, I wonder what, wonder what they actually do on the weekend or, you know, and it opens up more possibilities or, um, there was a church, uh, church on the move in Tulsa that, uh, they had a massive youth ministry. I think it was called 180 or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they had massive youth ministry. And one of the coolest things that they had was they had this major multi-purpose building just for youth that was like, it had tutoring in there. Like it had after school, like kids could get dropped off there by the buses and they had a basketball league or they had, again, tutoring or something like that that was yeah, actually like a helpful. pipe in their building. Yeah. Had, yeah. It was, yeah, it was crazy, it was, all the stuff they It had, was yeah. insane, but also really stinking cool because they... <laughs> They had opportunities. They were creating opportunities to have real conversations with students instead of just come in here, come to Wednesday night and come Mm -hmm. and hear what we're doing. Instead, they're actually serving the community and creating opportunities for one-on-one conversations. So when you say, can we do something that maybe benefits them in another way? It's not just let's sit down and teach the Bible. I think that if as pastors or as a church or as, uh, you know, lay leaders or whatever, if we're doing our job, if we are uh, doing it properly, then we should be honestly, like our words and our deeds, our actions, the conversation should be laced with the word of God anyways. And I think that we don't have to sit down and preach a three-point sermon um, or do a specific Bible study, but that there's going to be conversations that come up where, you know, where the gospel is talked about or where mm-hmm. a specific uh, life stage is talked about. How do I work through this or whatever? And the more opportunities we can create for that, the better. And I think it's about intentionality too. Um, you know, what are you trying to do with this? Um, uh, there's a, a pastor up in Dayton who's a friend of back 40 that, you know, they opened a coffee shop and it was intentional. It was, Hey, we want to reach people who aren't coming to church. We want to create a place for our community. And, um, you know, so pastor Kenny is, they're doing a good job and they're trying to do some things differently. And, um, and so there's intentionality behind that. Um, over in spring church PA, um, pastor Terry Jones is the pastor of the rock over there. And they have, a they have a, Um, you know, people drive by and it doesn't look like a church, but you get inside and it's like, nope, it definitely doesn't because they have a donut shop and they serve (laughs) pizza and they, you know, they have a rock climbing wall. It's a, they have a fun center there. And so it's opened, um, you know, certain nights of the week and people can come in and, and that's their, that's their mindset behind it is, Hey, it can be a revenue stream for the ministry, but really it's an outlet 
for us to minister in our community. We're filling a need in our community. So when it's intentional, I really like it. Um, when, when the, or the, when the intention is outreach, when the intention mm-hmm. is reaching the lost, I really like it. My problem with this is when it becomes more about insulating our people from the need to go anywhere else, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, let's create an environment where our people can, you know, they don't have to be subjected to, you know, we basically have a commune. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is a, it is a classy cult, <laughs> you know, anyway. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, and so that's my problem. And I think that's easy to do. And the intention behind that even, I don't think is ungodly necessarily. Cause they're like, Hey, we want to create something for our church, but I've seen churches that have had bowling alleys and you know, that they've built in their building. And the purpose wasn't necessarily for outreach. The purpose was primarily for, we want to create something for our people. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's like, oh, it makes me a little uncomfortable because it feels like we're getting off mission, you know, to to reach lost people when it becomes more about just serving. And really, that's the danger. When, when our focus becomes more about serving the people within the church mm-hmm. than it does about serving the people outside the church, that's, that is the beginning of the end for any church, no matter mm-hmm. how big or small or how big your budget is. So... Um, so I think it's smart for churches to have multiple revenue streams. Um, I think it's smart for just like, you know, wealth experts will talk about people having multiple revenue streams. Uh, I think it's good if a church can have multiple revenue streams, it helps, it helps, uh, protect you from a downturn in the economy or a downturn in giving, um, or one family who's a heavy hitter decides to leave your church because they don't like your sermon, you know, like <laughs> it helps insulate you from, from catastrophic events like that. Um, but I think, you know, you and I were talking about this, Michael, the other day, uh, you know, I know churches that became landlords and that's dangerous because what do you, you're going to evict people. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you want the community to know is that you evict a family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if you're totally justified to evict them. And so like, there's things I would say, be real careful about what you right. do or how you do it. But in terms of just servicing your community, I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. I think one of the ways that you can be intentional about that, not everybody has the opportunity to do this, but it'd be cool. I think in an ideal world to maybe even open up those particular different revenue streams or whatever. Um, so you said a gym or a coffee shop. Um, one of the things that I, that I've had a thought of, of on campus, um, here in Indiana is actually like facilitating a free laundromat for students specifically. Um, but we wouldn't do that at the church. That Mm -hmm. would be dumb to do it at the church. We would need to do that on campus somewhere or, you know, a a center that, uh, like a coffee shop that's more for, more for studying that has uh, more seating than the current coffee shop we have here in town, like doing that kind of stuff. But that needs to be again on campus or near campus. And so the way that I think about it is if a church is going to do that and be super intentional about, we want to reach other people outside of the church, then you could do it away from your church building mm-hmm. and still make it work. Um, there's a there's a church near Pittsburgh that actually just uh, bought a building that it's basically the same parking lot, but they do barbecue. Mm-hmm. And um, I visited them there, and it's not overly churchy. They don't have it's called Holy Smokes, but outside of that, like it doesn't have any kind of like you know Christianese yep. uh, meat. You know they're not selling Bible Belt brisket or something like that. You know, <laughs> so oh they're not marketing it that way. Um, but the atmosphere is just different. Like it's yeah. it's nice to go in there. It's the people that you're talking to you. They're nice, like you know. Mm. Um, and so I think that it's one of those things that if you can be in, like Mel said, if you can be intentional, I think one of those ways to be intentional is to maybe even move it off of your campus mm-hmm. and figure out a way to to reach the community that it's around. Well, the problem with that though is that 
pastors, we still have to get to the place where it's not about getting people in our building and getting people at our church mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning, you know? And yeah. so I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons that we're resistant to that still. Cause we go, no, 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 we'll serve, but we're going to serve them here. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we'll do an Easter egg hunt, but it's gotta be on our property yeah. or, you know, and I think we have to get past that and go, Hey, I just want to serve our community and I'm going to let, let God deal with the increase. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I th- I think that's one of the reasons pastors, at least pastors I know struggle with that to some degree. Um, and I know some people might be listening to this going, well, yeah, that's great. I don't, I don't have that much space. Like, and that's for us, there's things we've talked about doing that. It's like, we just don't have the room to do it. We can't mm-hmm. open mm-hmm. a gym in our facility because we don't have the space to. Um, and so, so the cool thing is if you're like us, there might be some things you could do that doesn't require you building on or, you know, doing a renovation. Um, like we host, um, the CPS, then when they do their foster training, you know, we open up our building for them to do that. That's on the first Monday, of the month, I think. And, you know, so there's some things like that, that we do that we open up our doors to the community to go, Hey, come use our building, come be a part, you know, we'll be a resource for you. So even if you don't have the ability to open up a coffee shop, you could probably host a meeting of, you know, the chamber of commerce or, you know, so if we're just start looking at our church beyond, you know, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and, you know, traditional meeting times, I think it, it makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that we, in the age of modern transportation in the online world, that the city center is just kind of like an obsolete idea now? So when you think about like older towns and cities, I believe it's the case that the church steeple um, was a thing because legally the church had to be the tallest building in the in the zone. Like it had to, it had to be the tallest so that people could see where it was. And I think the idea was that it kind of functioned as like the 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 heart of the town or the heart of the city. I might be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. And so then you think like uh, going all the way back to like ziggurats and things like that. If you go way back, um, you have these places that are like the the center of the city. Do you think that we've our technology and our ability to move ourselves around so easily and efficiently has just decentralized things to where like the city center is not as valuable as it used to be. I think to some degree from a, a social perspective, um, a sociological perspective, I, th- I think that's probably the case. Um, but I mean, and maybe I'm just old fashioned. I keep coming back to this idea that, that the church is about gathering fundamentally. It's about coming together. It's about sharing the gospel. It's about mobilizing people. And it's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to engage in authentic relationship online. You can be in relationship with people online, um, but it's so much easier to do that in person. I I just don't know how you translate that virtually. Um, And so in terms of, in terms of a culture or a town, yeah, I could see decentralizing for sure. Um, when you can order your groceries online and I mean, I, I bought a car online, you know what I mean? Like it's in, in two States away, it's being shipped to me. Like I don't even have to go car <laughs> shopping. Right. Um, and so everything is virtual. Now we can do everything online. I just think relationship is something it's really hard to do well online. Mm-hmm. And I think people long for intimacy. So I think there are some things that we're going to move, make virtual. And there's some things I think are real hard to make virtual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it depends too. So the need hasn't gone away. No, the need yeah. is still there. Cause that's a, that's a, like you said, sociological need for community in general. Um, 
but I think that it also depends on where you live as far as like, has the city center crumbled or gone away? Mm -hmm. Because the smaller of a town you live in, the more likely it is that you still have some sort of city center gathering. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But as you break off into the city, um, it's not so much the case. Like I I think about here, like I grew up in a, I grew up in the DFW Metroplex in Texas, which is just massive. Mm -hmm. It's like one big, huge sprawling city. And they're like, even within the smaller communities, there's not like a little, there's not a city center. There's not a place where everybody goes and this is where we hang out. And like, even though there's downtowns and all that, it just doesn't happen. Uh, but coming here um, to Indiana, I've noticed that there is more of that. There is more of that tighter knit community because it's a smaller, it's a smaller uh, community. Um, like with the, all the parades, like, mm-hmm. man, I've never been in a town that has so many parades and like, <laughs> and everybody goes to them too. Like <laughs> we went to the Veterans Day parade which was almost nothing, but there were still people there just hanging out. Watching people walk down the street. Watching people walk down the street with a flag. I was like, what is going? And my kids love it too. Like, like, what do y'all even like? So anyways, um, I think it depends on where you live too. And so as we are in the context of, of rural pastors and rural church communities, I think, um, it's a little easier to answer that question with, yeah, the need is still there and there's still a great opportunity for that. But I think the further you move out into the cities, it makes it more difficult. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the churches that are from bigger cities, that are from bigger communities, they're actually having not only a church online platform, but they're actually doing they're doing their small groups online. Mm-hmm. They have a church online community that they actually have church online pastors or they're building whole studios to basically only worry about who's online. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the city center for larger communities has actually moved online and it's difficult. I don't think it's impossible, but it is difficult. And, you know, we're not talking about this right now, but that's where I think the church has to figure out at some point is that we still need the, we still have the need for gathering, but if the only way to gather is online or the most prevalent way to gather is online, especially as we grow, um, how do we do that well? So, mm-hmm. so some of the higher production churches that I've been in because of what they're trying to do on the weekend would also make the best movie theaters like in the area. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause you can, you have a big screen at home. Yeah. Like in a living room, most people in their living rooms have something approximating like a, a big screen that you'd find at like a movie theater. Maybe they even have surround sound. They don't have an led wall at home though. And like, do you think that, uh, would you screen movies that are like hot movies, like movies that are, people are wanting to watch um, just to get people in the building um, to get them to see like, so you might have somebody who's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to church period for any reason. But if it's like, Oh, say like a new Die Hard movie comes out. It's Christmas time, Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Christmas, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're like, well, I don't want to go to church, but I really want to see that movie. And I can't see it at a theater that matches the equipment Holy of this yeah. church. Um, and then so they go in and they're like, wow, you know, that, that was pretty great. Um, I'd never been inside of a church that didn't feel anything like a church. Maybe the weekend service is something I'd enjoy too. Like, do you see that as a viable outreach, even if you're screening movies that are like, you know, not Christian movies? Okay. So I'll I'll take this one. Uh, we've done family movie nights here at the church, um, as a service for our community, because 
there are a number of people in our community um, that that is, are lower income that it if they've got multiple kids, it's expensive to go to a movie. And so we would offer a family movie night just as a service to go, hey, bring your kids. You know, it's free. Um, you know, bring your bring your drinks, bring your candy, whatever. Um, but we probably would hold off on any like John McClane, Yippie Kaye, <laughs> you know, kind of movies. Uh, Those are holy speakers, Michael. <laughs> that's right. Um, just because, you know, I tell our staff, like, we have enough problems, don't create your own problems. And it feels like if we did some of that, it might be creating our own problems. So. Mm-hmm. I would do a family movie night, and after we did, we saw several churches in our community did it too, and that's a good thing. I think that's valuable, um, but the intention wasn't maybe they'll come back to church. It was purely like let's just offer a service to our mm-hmm. community, um, but I could see a certain kind of church saying, yes, that would be valuable to do. Um, we probably wouldn't mm. do that specifically that way if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. i think it'd be an awesome thing to do i also agree with you that that creates so many problems mm-hmm. <laughs> and again i think it goes back to what community are you in mm-hmm. you know what yeah. is the makeup of your church what is what is the community that you are trying to reach you know who who are you trying to reach? who are you actually reaching um who is already in your building uh because that would all be factors into because there might even be some family movies that people are like no yeah, that's that's wrong. Yeah. That's a that's an allegory for you know yeah. a coming out story or whatever, and I don't want my kids to watch that. And it's yeah. like uh, maybe you know, so you could you could even create problems there. So yeah, I think it would be an awesome thing to do. I also agree that you got to be careful with what you show. Yeah, the too. only movies you can show have to be starring um, what's his name, Kirk Cameron Kirk or. Cameron. Uh, Kevin Sorbo or <laughs> you can only show God's not dead one, right. two and 12. That's, right. That's all you That's can right. do. Those are the only movies. Oh man. Uh, okay. So what about non-religious speakers? So think of people who maybe like speak in terms of the same theme of values, like a Ben Shapiro or a, well, Ben Shapiro is religious, but uh, like a Jordan Peterson or uh, people who maybe like the message of what they're saying is in line with what is taught at the church, but they're not overtly Christian. Um, Would you host people like that or platform people like that as a way of as a means of outreach or even just as a way of like somebody wants to come speak in Indiana, it's hard to find a venue as well equipped as summit church. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it just is. And so like, would you open that up uh, for speakers who maybe there's, maybe they don't see things completely eye to eye on all the things that you do. Do you think that it would be wise for a church to invite that kind of uh, content into their building? Yeah. I actually, I've known a couple of churches that have done this, not personally, but I've heard of a couple of churches who have done this kind of thing. Um, For instance, it's a very large church and they're in LA. So that again, the community that they're in, but Mosaic Church with Erwin McManus, he actually was talking recently about how he got an opportunity to uh, interview Ben Affleck at his church. Like, and he was told not to ask about, not to ask any questions about religion or anything like that. Like it was literally just a PR thing for Ben Affleck, but because of the conversation that was happening, um, Ben actually is the one who opened up to, uh, to Irwin and started talking about his, uh, his growing up Catholic. And that, that got into a conversation just about the gospel in general from Irwin's perspective. And so I thought that was a really cool thing. Like, mm-hmm. man, that's really neat. 
And yeah. I don't know, you know, most churches would probably say, oh, heck no. Ben Affleck, like, absolutely not. We can't can't allow him in here. Um, but because they're reaching, they're reaching actors, actresses, uh, creatives in that town, in that city, it's perfect for them. And so I think, again, it just depends. I think it's a great idea depending on, you know, uh, how much you can control essentially yeah. of what's actually being said and what's going on. Um, and again, who you are trying to reach. Yeah, I think I would be pretty excited about having Batman come to our church. Yeah, <laughs> Batman goes to my church. Um, so I, I probably wouldn't just hand him a mic and let him speak. Hey, you got 35 minutes, go. I, mm -hmm. But in the context of an interview, yeah, I would have somebody who's, um, who's not a believer. Um, you know, as long as I had a, a good feel for, okay, here's the direction we're going. And, you know, um, I, I would have a conversation with an, a non-believer um, in the right context, you know, so I would be open to that. Um, as far as just having an event here, like if somebody, you know, um, a, a political speaker, whether right or left, you know, wanted to have an event here, I, I would be a little more hesitant about that. Mm -hmm. Um, again, if I was going to interview them, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Cause we've talked about, uh, during election season, bringing in Republican and Democrat candidates, mm -hmm. you know, um, and letting me just interview them and just have conversations. Um, and I would be open to that, um, where we're not picking sides and we're not saying, Hey, we're all going to vote. We all know who to vote for wink, wink, you know, <laughs> um, but just have conversations. And I think that, I think that can be valuable, but in, in terms of, Hey, on a Thursday night, we're going to sell tickets for uh, whoever, you know, to come in and speak. That's where I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want it to look like we're picking sides because I want to continue to be able to reach people who don't yeah. agree with this person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the political side of it, Mel, because like, um, there's a second layer to this question and it is that, uh, so imagine like the church starts the university, the university becomes like a center for the uh, diversity of thought. Um, they're not increasingly universities are stepping away from that philosophy of mm -hmm. free exchange of ideas. And mm -hmm. so do you think the church needs to come in behind that and, and take up that mantle? Um, and I, I'm not super sharp on my church history when it comes to the birthing of the university. And I don't know if it was like the intent of the church to form the, the place of the free exchange of ideas. If it was, isn't it the church's responsibility to take that mantle up again, since the universities have departed from that. And, and if it is, should the church, uh, risk maybe platforming somebody that has a, that has a message that's not ideal just in the out of principle for the freedom of expression or the freedom of thought should, should we, should we have faith in other words, that the truth will, will out, you know, the truth will stand even if a person comes forward, you know, like I'm, I'm cautious about crafting a society wherein there is no place for mm -hmm. that kind of thing, where, yeah. where all of the avenues for freedom of speech and freedom of expression are gone. And if the university's not doing it, who's going to do it? I think you put a lot more faith in the common man than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I've had too many conversations lately where people just ask me point blank who I voted for in the last election. Like they care more about that than doctrine, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I feel like, yes, that is ideally. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I don't know that ever, I would ever again, platform somebody where I just hand them a mic and say, you got 40 minutes to, you know, talk about whatever you want go. Um, but, I could see on our platform having a conversation with somebody who is, um, 
who is pro-choice and being able to walk through that and have a dialogue together. Um, we're decidedly pro-life, right? But let's walk through this together and let's just talk about this. And we don't have to hate each other and I don't have to beat you up metaphorically or physically, right? Uh, so I think that does have value. Um, but I think uh, for a lot of people, um, politics is the new religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I think yeah. I w- you you said that he has more faith in the common man, and I I think that's part of it is that it's ideal. It'd be great, mm-hmm. but the problem is, is even if you had someone come in and you interviewed them, and for your example, that was pro-choice, mm-hmm. you would have people sitting in the congregation like just seething, like just, I cannot believe this is happening and how dare, and I cannot wait to write this email and Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell them what's, you know, Mm -hmm. what's on my mind. And that's because we've created, we've created a society and we've created a culture, whether in church or outside of the church where uh, we just need to tweet and or type our thoughts and just, you know, send it out. And then we're just going to argue back and forth and nothing's ever going to change. And there is no exchange of free thought. Like the exchange I would say would be like, I'm going to actually take something you said and chew on it. There is Mm -hmm. not exchange. There is shouting of free thought. There is, you Mm -hmm. know, we take a bullhorn and we just shout what we think and we don't respond to the person who said something else that might, you know, challenge our narrative or our reality. And so, yeah, in an ideal world, that would be awesome if mm-hmm. the church could be a place where we could exchange free thought and again, be forgiving and loving and caring and mm-hmm. have compassion Good faith conversations. Yeah. And actually and, yeah. have real conversations. Um, but the problem is, is that, and this goes back to the thing we opened up with is that people are people and they are completely broken. Yeah. And we live in a broken society and a broken culture that, that social media has perpetuated the uh, inability to have good conversations. And so ideally it'd be awesome, but currently it'd be really stinking difficult. Really challenging. (laughs) Wow. Uh, You both have done an excellent job of describing the depressing, both the (laughs) very depressing and very accurate nature of the situation. And that it is the case. Yeah. That, that, in order to have the the right essentially to freedom of expression in a place where free speech can happen and exchange of ideas can happen, you have to have individuals who are responsible enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the problem then might not be the university administration. It might just be like the fact that individuals can't handle that kind of uh, conversation anymore. They've, they've slipped so far away from that, that they're, you know, like Kendall, like you said, and Mel, like you said, like, even if we open it up for that kind of thing, it's, it's just going to devolve into a, uh, you know, a shouting match based on whatever their a priori presuppositions were when they came in the door. Well, you know, I said earlier that Disney lied to us, but I mean, I think we really do in Western culture have this idea that, um, that, you know, there is one objective truth and that objective truth is whatever I believe. And, um, and that the goal is to be happy. And the goal is to, you know, that everything's right and everything's in alignment. And whenever somebody comes with a dissonant thought or idea, it is messing with my happiness and my, you're, you're meddling with my story now. Mm -hmm. And so there's no place to go. Um, 
you know, hey, maybe the prince and the princess don't end up together at the end. You know, maybe my life won't be perfect. You know, and how do we reconcile these things? And I think fundamentally, like we approach all these things with the wrong mindset and we tend to think it's about us. And it's like, well, no, what if we, what if we have these um, conversations more open-handedly and just go, okay, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong about this. Um, But we just don't tend to have those conversations like that. Um, And and even in the church for the most part. Yeah. I think within the church, it comes with uh, if you challenge what I believe, there's a fear that I'm wrong Mm -hmm. and be and that fear that I'm wrong outweighs the, outweighs the possibility that I might be wrong and I'm going to open up for the conversation because if I'm wrong, then that could challenge every foundation that I have (laughs) and what else is going to, yeah, what else is going to crumble. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just an, it's an immature way of thinking. It's a way that kids argue. It's a way that kid, you know, I think about my kids one time, um, I live near Mel and, uh, I don't know that he, I don't know that he heard this, but he saw the video. Uh, Both of my kids one day were arguing that they were unicorns, that Uh unicorns were real. And my son was arguing that they were, which was odd. And then my daughter was arguing that they weren't. And they were just yelling at each other. (laughs) Yes, they are. No, they're not. And there's no argument actually to be had. Just one believes one way, one believes the other way. And they are angry about it because of what they want to believe in. And when I see them argue that way, Mm-hmm. It's a perfect picture of what we do yeah. <laughs> in society yeah. is yeah. that we're just going to yell back and forth and I'm not going to address the argument you made. You're not going to address the argument I made. We're just going to yell back and forth and we're both going to go our separate ways and continue to believe the exact same thing we believed in the first place yeah. and then not like each other. So, yeah. Wow. Well, and that's why I keep, I mean, I've got people in our church that want me to be more political <clears throat> and it's like, but man, that's not central. Like I keep coming back to the centrality of the gospel. Like the gospel should cut through all this stuff. The gospel um, is, you know, Christ is preeminent above all these political issues. But, you know, if we don't recognize that, then it doesn't matter. If my political issues in my heart and mind are still preeminent, if my ideologies, all those kind of things, um, it's not that Christ is robbed of power, but we just don't recognize his power. You know, we're not mm. submitted to his power. Um, and that, and that's, that's where I keep coming back to the gospel is everything. You know, Jesus is everything. Uh, let's, let's get that right. And if we get that right, then everything else will start to fall into place. Um, but we, we flip it and get it backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this has been really good. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mel Massengale, Kendall Kersey, before you go, don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Uh, thank you all for joining the back 40 leadership podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.